Tom. Good morning, everybody. So, yeah, I have the privilege of bringing the message today and continuing on from our sermon series. We just started last week, actually, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So we're going to be we're going to be finishing that chapter, chapter 1, today. But yeah, excited to go through that with you all. And I, I think it's fascinating hearing of believers in the past who have counted the cost and have laid their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. And really, every time period going back through history, we, we have examples of, um, of this. And, and I just want to start us off here. Uh, give us a little, a couple little glimpses into one, st- one story from uh, kind of ancient history, and this 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 will be um, not very long after Timothy had written this, so kind of er- the early church days. And then I also want to bring it back to a story of our m- more modern times about persecution. One of them is the mar- is going to be a martyr, and one is just um, a persecuted believer. But I think hearing stories of um, of believers going through trials, suffering for the gospel is is encouraging, and that's what we're going to be talking about in our passage in uh, 2 Timothy today. So, first one here, just a quick little snippet, quick story um, of Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch. Um, this, again, this is like early, early 100s, AD and um, so this is just a little little story from uh, Dan Graves on Christianity.com. This is just gonna read it straight up here. It says so. It says while the Emperor of Rome Tra- um, Trajan, Emperor of Rome, was on a visit to Asia Minor, he arrested Ignatius. When the bishop confessed his faith in Christ. The emperor sent him in chains to Rome to die. The public spectacles were about to close when Ignatius arrived. He was hustled to the arena at once and thrown to two fierce lions who immediately devoured him. At no time did he try to escape his miserable death. On the contrary, while bound for Rome under armed guard, he wrote a letter to the church in the imperial capital insisting that no one interfere with his true sacrifice. And this is just a little bit from that letter here. So these are the words of Ignatius. I wanted, um, I wanted to highlight his story um, because he says, Earthly longings have been crucified, and in me there is left no spark of desire for mundane things, but only a murmur of living water that whispers within me, Come to the Father. So those were the words of Ignatius, who was then martyred on behalf of the gospel. And then, if we fast forward to modern times here, I just want to read an excerpt from a book called The Insanity of God. And and this is, I would would recommend this book to anyone. It's just about the modern persecuted church in our world today. And this is just a story about an anonymous man from, I don't even know if it's Russia or, or Ukraine, but this was during, um, this was during the Soviet rule. And this, this man's dad was a pastor. 
um, who was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. So it says here, I remember it like it was yesterday. My father put his arms around me, <clears throat> around me and my sister and my brother, and guided us into the kitchen to sit around the table where he could talk with us. My mama was crying, so I knew that something was wrong. Papa didn't look at her because he was talking directly to us. He said, Children, you know that I'm the pastor of our church. That's what God has called me to do, to tell others about him. I have learned that the communist authorities will come tomorrow to arrest me. They will put me in prison because they want me to stop preaching about Jesus. But I cannot stop doing that because I must obey God. I will miss you very much, but I will trust God to watch over you while I'm gone. He hugged each one of us. Then he said, all around this part of the country, the authorities are rounding up followers of Jesus and demanding that they deny their faith. Sometimes when they refuse, the authorities will line up whole families and hang them by the neck until they are dead. I don't want that to happen to our family, so I am praying that once they put me in prison, they will leave you and your mother alone. However, and here he paused and made eye contact with us. If I am in prison and I hear that my wife and my children have been hung to death rather than deny Jesus, I will be the most proud man in that prison. So with these stories of persecution in mind, I want to turn our attention now to our passage today. So if you want to turn to 2 Timothy 1, 8, verses 8 through 18. It'll be up on the screen as well, right there. So if you want to follow along, what we're just going to spend the first little part of the sermon today just walking through this passage. And then after walking through it, we'll kind of narrow in a bit on a couple of Paul's main points uh, before, before applying that to where we are today. So verse 8. We're going to start with verse 8. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So verse 8 introduces these first two main points. Do not be ashamed and share in suffering for the gospel. I want to point out here that this also, this refers back to uh, what Tom talked about last week, the very, the very last verse um, that he, yeah, the very last verse, I guess, that he talked about last week, which is 1 Timothy uh, 1, 2 Timothy 1, 7. And it says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so this is what Paul is referring back to in this, when he says, therefore. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed. So we have the Holy Spirit in us. It's a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so we need not be afraid of suffering or persecution. Um, 
And then moving on to the next few verses here, after that, Paul, Paul explodes with a concise, like concentrated exaltation of the gospel. And just a side note, I, I like that word, exalt. Uh, it's, it's kind of a cool word, but <laughs> this is different than exalt, exalt with an A, which it's similar, but um, exalting means to lift something high. Exalting with an A, it means to lift something high, to raise something in status. And so when we exalt Christ, we lift up his name because he is worthy of our worship. But exalting, what, what I just said here, exalting with a U, um, it has the definition of being filled with joy, expressing great joy or triumph. And that is what Paul is doing here in verses 9 and 10. It's just, it's just a concentrated, like, exalting of the gospel. And so it says here in verse 9, who saved us, so this is coming off of verse 8, uh, share in suffering by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And this is classic, like, Paul theology right here. It, it, just, it just speaks, you can, you can see... Um, you can see how he's just kind of like taking all this, what he's already talked about. So remember, this is, this is Paul's letter to Timothy at the end of his life when he's in prison. And so he's just kind of taking this gospel and just proclaiming it um, in a concise way here. So it says, just kind of in like bullet, bulletless form, he saved us, he called us to a holy calling, not by works, but by grace. And this, was, this gospel was given to us in Christ before time began. So we're talking about like eternity here. Before time began, and it's now manifested in the person and work of Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So this is like from eternity to eternity here. So this this kind of proclamation of the gospel just calls for us to rejoice in the gospel, in what Christ has done for us. And I pray that when we think about the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, that, this, that we would be like Paul here, that we would just exult in the gospel. And so these, these few verses here where he just expounds on the gospel, th this is like the grounding for everything else in this passage because we're going to be talking about persecution, suffering for, for the gospel, but like we need to come back to this. We need to come back to these verses. Um, so then as we move on here, verses 11 through 14, I'm just going to read that here. So this gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul is appointed a preacher an apostle and teacher, which is why he suffers as he does. And here in this section, we can see this relationship of, of a spiritual father to his spiritual son, Paul to Timothy, where Paul first shows in verse 12 why he himself is not ashamed. And then in verses 13 and 14, he then challenges Timothy to follow in his footsteps. And I want to point out here as Paul closes this section of the chapter, the very last verse, verse 14, is so crucial to his encouragement to Timothy. He, he tells him the means by which Timothy must live this out, and that is by the power of the Holy Spirit within him. So we can't just give it our best effort. We can't just, we can't just go through suffering or live this life. Um, like by our own will, like just, just by trying harder, we can't do that. And that's, that's where he, it's so important to, um, for Timothy, for Paul telling Timothy and for us here, just to, to live this out through the power of the Holy Spirit. So then the last section here, verses 15 through 18, it kind of feels like it stands alone. Uh, but it really is meant to show examples of real people, real people who have been in relationship with Paul at this time. And so this is Paul showing Timothy that the way that we respond to persecution and whether we are ashamed or embrace the gospel when persecution comes, that this has a real impact on our brothers and sisters in Christ. This has a real impact on Paul on his life. And so he's really, he's exhorting Timothy here. And I'm just going to read it. It says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched earnestly for me, and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul gives here, he gives an example, like an, a negative example, and then a positive example of his friends who either abandoned him when uh, suffering came or refreshed him. And so in the negative example here, Paul is He's straightforward with the fact that these men and others had abandoned him. And you can really feel like the hurt and disappointment in Paul as these were brothers who had done ministry with him. But in perhaps Paul's darkest hour, they had abandoned him. And then he moves to the positive example in Onesiphorus. And, and this is on the other end of the spectrum, we just see the joy that it is when brothers and sisters stand by us in our darkest hour, 
when persecution comes. Onesiphorus was a refreshment to Paul. His service to Paul was recognized in the word of God as an example for us in how we care for one another when some of us are facing persecution. So Onesiphorus was not ashamed of the gospel. He was not ashamed of Paul. But he went out of his way to go to Rome, and he actually searched Paul out. And as Tom was uh, talking about last week even, he talked about how, like, Paul was in, like, a hole in the ground in somewhere in Rome. Like, we don't, we don't know. And this is, Onesiphorus, like, searched him out, found where he was, and gave him refreshment. And I just think that's a, just those two, like, contrasting examples are really, really special in, in how Paul then exhorts Timothy to follow suit, to follow Onesimus, and not to follow uh, the other two. <laughs> so, so then that leads us here to, um, to, I think, the main points in this passage that Paul is, is getting at. So Paul gives the command, do not be ashamed. And he follows that up later in verse 12. Um, as we've seen already, just giving Timothy two reasons why Paul, why Paul himself is not ashamed. So he says to Timothy, I think this is, let's see. Okay, we're looking at verse 8. Again, we're going, looking back at verse 8, but also verse 12. They're kind of saying the same things. But Paul gives the command, do not be ashamed. And he follows that up later in verse 12, as we've seen, by giving Timothy two reasons why Paul himself is not ashamed. So he says to Timothy, look, I'm teaching you these things, but I'm not just throwing out empty words. Like, I've lived this out, and I've seen God's faithfulness to me. So follow me and learn from my life. So the reason, number one, is I know whom I have believed. This is why we shouldn't, this is why Paul himself is not ashamed, because he knows whom he has believed. So we, we also can know the one in whom we believe in whom we believe. He isn't God, is not just some abstract higher power. But he has revealed who he is in his word. He has stooped down and revealed himself to us in our language. And this is what we talked about last week in the Doctrine and Devotion class, um, if you were here. So Tom actually talked about this as well. Um, but we learned about the names, the analogies, and the attributes of God. This is, this is part of how we can know God. Like, he reveals himself to us in these ways, and in, in many others as well, but in the names, the attributes, analogies of God. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, God is infinite. This is just the tip of the iceberg of how we can know God. And so Paul, throughout his ministry, uh, and we can see this in some of his other books, like he knows God. Paul knows him, and this is, um, this is one of the reasons that he is not ashamed of the gospel. He's seen the faithfulness of God. And then reason number two, 
why we should not be ashamed of the gospel, why, why Paul tells Timothy not to be ashamed, is that God is able to guard what has been entrusted to Paul. This comes back to the faithfulness of God. So this could, this could mean either Paul's life, or it could mean, I'm sorry, like, uh, going back to God is able to guard what has been entrusted. So what has been entrusted, this, this could mean either to guard the gospel, the gospel which has been entrusted, or uh, Paul's life. And either way, either one, it comes back to the faithfulness of God in, um, in when suffering comes, that God is faithful. And Paul knows this, and he's, and he's kind of drawing this out. So do not be ashamed of the gospel. That's, that's one of the first points there. The second one is, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So Paul's exhortation not to be ashamed comes in the context of suffering for the gospel. He recognized that when suffering comes to someone like Paul on account of the gospel, that others around him, family and friends, will be tempted to either abandon one's faith or to distance themselves from that person in this instance. That's what we've seen here with uh, Figilus and Hermogenes, that when the testing came, when suffering came, they were, they were tempted and they gave into this temptation to distance themselves. But Paul says, share in suffering. And that's what we see in Onesimus that he was a refreshment to Paul. And so that's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. It's share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And that is important there, by the power of God. Again, it's important to know the power by which we do these things. Yeah, we don't get through suffering on our own, but we share in suffering of others um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to, if you want to um, turn to Luke 12, 11 through 12, these are the words of Jesus. I want to just read this and listen to these encouraging and life-giving words that Jesus gives us in anticipation for the suffering that his disciples would encounter. So Luke 12, 11 through, t- 11 through 12, It says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And I thought it was interesting. I I was reading in Acts earlier this week, um, but I, I noticed that this is exactly this. This is ex- exactly what happened with Stephen, who was the first martyr that's recorded uh, in Scripture here. This is exactly what happened to him. Like he, in his time of trial, when he was before the synagogues, when he was before the rulers being accused, it's recorded in uh, Acts 7. I'm not going to read that now because it's a, it's a pretty long um, dialogue there, but but Stephen is given the words to say. 
by the Holy Spirit, and, and it's recorded in Scripture. We can see that. Um, so when the times of suffering comes, the Holy Spirit is given to us. Um, and we can speak the words that he has for us. So if we are the ones suffering for the gospel, we do so with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we are the ones bearing the burdens of those suffering, we likewise bear their burdens by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with Paul's charge to Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to share in suffering by the power of God, I want to take a minute here and bring our attention to our current cultural climate, just in order to kind of take this passage here and um, apply it to our lives too. I really want, I want to address a couple of dangers that we might have in thinking about persecution and suffering for the gospel. And the first one um, that I want us to be aware of that we can tend to have, I think, when it comes to thinking about persecution and suffering, it's being so fixated on persecution that we look for it and claim it in the wrong places. So again, this is, a, this is the first danger that I want to address, is just being so fixated on persecution that we look for it and claim it in the wrong places. And there's a, there's a satire website. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's called the Babylon Bee. It, has, it just has short um, articles written, written by Christians which like to poke fun and bring humor to, um, to Christians or to come, church subculture, also like political um, parties and just stuff like it's. I just enjoy reading some of these. It's <laughs> um, but one of the articles I, I saw was a list of 10 top ways that the American church is persecuted by our society. And again, just this is satire. This is not, uh, not serious, not meant to be serious. But some of the ways, I'm just going to list a couple of these. Some of the ways that it listed the American church as being persecuted is sometimes people are mean on Twitter. Persecution. <laughs> uh, one time, a waitress got mad when I tipped her one of those fake $100 bill gospel tracts. <laughs> Another one here. Sometimes the lines at Chick-fil-A are way too long. And then finally, they still haven't made an Oreo flavor that acknowledges our Christian beliefs. That's bad. <laughs> so we have a Lady Gaga Oreo. We have LGBTQ plus rainbow Oreo, but we have no cookies with the Nicene Creed written on them. So... All right. <laughs> you, may, you may or may not think that's as funny as I do, but I, I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, but the point here, the point that I'm making, just for this one uh, danger that we could, that some of us could face, um, it's looking for persecution under every nook and cranny. And sometimes we just, sometimes we get it wrong, um, if we're honest. We can fall into the temptation of even like playing the victim card when something doesn't go our way or we feel like we've been hurt or mistreated for our beliefs. And yet oftentimes it's not even the gospel that is central that we're talking about. And so this is just a danger that I think we need to be aware of when we think of 
um, persecution in this day and age. So we need to examine our hearts um, and make sure that we're centered on the gospel of Christ. And then the other danger, though, this is on the other side of the ditch, so we're, you know, uh, you don't want to fall in either, either one of these ditches here. But the other one here, um, I think this is really what, this is probably more the danger that Paul is focusing on as well, but it's being so comfortable and complacent in our Christian walk that we think persecution will never come. It'll never come to us. And as easy and as comfortable as it is to live out our faith, or as it has been in America today, I think Jesus speaks, we can see Jesus speaking over and over about um, persecution, that his followers will suffer persecution. And I think we do well to take these things to heart. So if you want to turn to John 15, 18 through 21, I'm just going to read that. This is the words of Jesus as he's um, talking to his disciples. John 15, 18 through 21. It says here, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And then, really quick as well, I, wanna, I want us to turn to another similar passage of Jesus talking to his disciples. Uh, this is in Mark Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. And I'm going to read that as well. So it says in verse 34, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." Jesus doesn't mince his words here when he talks about the cost of discipleship and the cost of following him. And if we were to be his disciples, and this, this is who we are, we are his disciples. If we were to be his disciples, um, then we must take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. So Jesus is pretty blunt here with saying that if anyone is ashamed of him and his words, 
then he will also be ashamed of them when Jesus returns in glory. In commenting on this passage here, Tony Morita, he's another Acts 29 pastor. He says this, Notice that the Savior says not to be ashamed of him or of his words. Many will mock both the person and the words of Jesus. Gospel-centered bravery, on the other hand, requires that we take our stand with Jesus and his teachings and we let the chips fall where they may. So based on Jesus' teaching, we are to be ready for persecution. And this is something that is a natural part of the Christian life. Uh, The Puritan pastor and theologian, I think this is back in the 1800s, Matthew Henry, he says, expect afflictions for the gospel's sake. Prepare for them. Count upon them. Be willing to take thy lot with the suffering saints in this world. And I don't think anyone will disagree that our society as a whole is becoming more and more hostile to the gospel. I think we can see that around us. Persecution is happening to pastors and churches, even even right across our border in Canada. And I don't say this to bring fear. It's actually the opposite. Like, I say this, and I bring these things up because I want us to be confident and fearless when these times of persecution comes. God has told us in his word that we will suffer on account of his name but he has promised to be with us. God is faithful. He is the great shepherd. And I say these things because I want us to be prepared both to suffer and to refresh one another when suffering does come. And to serve one another when our brothers and and sisters are suffering. So let us share in suffering just like Onesimus did to Paul, and just as Paul encouraged Timothy when he was in prison. And finally, I want to end with pointing us back to the grounds for what Paul is talking about here in this passage, that we need this to be about the gospel. There are, there are many ways to suffer in this world. We, there's no doubt about that. There is suffering in this world. There are many causes that lead to suffering, but what we're talking about here, what Paul is entreating Timothy about, is to be unashamed of the gospel. To share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so let us stake our lives to the cross of Christ, and let us rejoice in his resurrection and the eternal life that he gives us. And then let the chips fall where they may. God is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for your word. We're thankful for um, just how your word gives us life. We're thankful for the gospel, how... um, no matter what situation we're in in life, that, um, that you are faithful. No matter what suffering, no matter what persecution might come, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, 
but in some way it will. And that's what you've, that's what you um, have said that if we follow you, we will suffer. Um, but we thank you that we have a God who has gone before us, that Jesus has entered our broken world, has gone before us, has suffered the ultimate suffering in our place, was raised to life and is seated with you right now. We thank you that we can have confidence and boldness because of who you are, because you've gone before us. And so God, we pray that um, we pray that if suffering comes, um, that we would be able to encourage each other in the faith, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, that we would not hold back, but that we would share in suffering for the gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen.